Anger is a difficult emotion to control. I, I think there's something about anger that we, that we like. Uh, there's just something that we feel empowered, and we feel like we can take on the world. We get adrenaline flowing through our veins, and, and just that anger feels like we can accomplish anything, right? And, and our pride when we're really angry about something, man, it just starts to swell, and all of a sudden we become like God, and we are righteous, and whoever we're angry at, they are the transgressor. We are here, and they are there. But compassion is different. So, so compassion, especially when it involves our enemies, maybe those who we aren't a big fan of, those who maybe have hurt us in the past, uh, it, it's a lot tougher, right? Uh, it, it kind of deflates that anger. It deflates that power that we feel. But yet Ephesians 4, 30, 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. And this word tenderhearted here means compassionate as well. And true compassion comes from a place where we realize that we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. True compassion can come when we realize that we also needed that mercy and that compassion from our Heavenly Father. And this is an impossible place to come to without the work of Jesus Christ in your heart. It is impossible to go past anger and get to compassion, especially for those who are our enemies, those who have wronged us and harmed us. Yet this is exactly what Christ has told us to do, to love our enemies. We see in Matthew 5, 5.44, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that is a, that's just a hard word. That is an extremely hard word. Because what is our natural thing? When we have an enemy, we want to fight, right? We, we, that anger wells up in us. And again, they're the bad ones, we're the good ones, and we want to fight. But we're going to learn something from Jonah's life, a life lesson that God teaches Jonah as we learn about how compassion is greater than anger. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we enter Jonah chapter 4 and we learn this, this huge life lesson that Jonah learns here, may, may we apply it to our own hearts and our own minds. Uh, in a world that is full of anger and hate, uh, may, may we see that compassion is greater and more powerful and stronger than anger. That we know that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness that God has called us to. And so as we, as we study this, this word, Ch- Jonah chapter 4, as we study your word, may, may we be changed by it and grow through it, Lord. We love you and thank you. Thank you so much for bringing us out today. Amen. So today, today we're going to have three ways that we understand God's mercy and compassion on others, especially those who are our adversaries. Uh, number one, the first point is you shouldn't or should not resent the Lord's mercy and compassion. You shouldn't resent the Lord's mercy and compassion. And we're going to read just verses 1 and 2 to start off here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We see Jonah's true colors from chapter 1 rehashed here in chapter 4. All of a sudden, we thought, you know, chapter 2 was such a beautiful prayer of praise to God, and we're like, man, this guy, he's, he's a changed man, and there was some change in him at that point. He's obey, as we see in, in Jonah chapter 3. He obeyed and followed through with that. But if we look at verse 1, it says, but this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And this word displeased in, in the, uh, the Hebrew actually means to be evil. And it didn't only just, it's Jonah telling God when he says this displeased him. This word, 
He's saying, God, what you did was evil. And he didn't just say it was evil, exceedingly evil. It was very evil. What you have done by relenting from disaster. And because we got to go back to, to chapter 3, verse 10. Right before this, we, we, we see what? That, that, that God was going to judge Nineveh. He said that in 40 days, this place is going to be overthrown. And then at the very end of chapter 3, what do we see? He relents from disaster because they repented. And now we have Jonah saying, what you did, God, was evil. It just wasn't just evil. It was very evil, egregious. It's horrible. I can't believe what you did, God. I mean, at this point, I, I don't know about you all, but like, I'm kind of wanting to get under a table somewhere. I'm thinking, okay, we're about to see the judgment of God fall down on Jonah right now. Like, wait, wait for, where's the lightning strike? Where's the earthquake? I mean, we saw and the earth has swallowed up Korah whenever he was rebelling him and his whole family. You know, the earth opens up and they go flying in. I'm just waiting for that next part there. It's like, all right, something good's about to happen here, you know, or something bad's about to happen to Jonah. But we're about to get a really cool thing. And yet God continues to mercifully talk with Jonah. And Jonah still lives to the end of this chapter. And I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, there's just part of you like, you just said what God did was evil and you let him live. Not only evil, but very evil. And there's just a part that you kind of scratch your head and be like, wow, okay, we'll see what's going to happen here. If we, if we continue to go, he only, not only thinks it's evil or very evil, he's angry with God. He lets God know, hey, man, I'm not cool with what you're doing, and I am very angry at this point. And he just starts railing against God, and it's interesting. He quotes God's word against him. So, so if, you go to the, if you go to this verse, uh, we see Exodus 34, 6. We can see God, or Jonah saying, hey, man, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew that I knew your word. I knew what Exodus 34 verse 6 said it said the lord passed before him and proclaimed the lord the lord a god merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness jonah says i knew that you were a merciful god i knew that you were going to forgive if they repented and that's why i didn't want to go in the first place remember chapter one when i said actually i didn't say anything i just ran right and, and i got i went to tarshish i was i was out of here till you put me in the mediterranean sea and had a huge giant fish swallow me for three days i wasn't even going to do this and this is why because i knew that's the kind of god that you are and you know what i don't i don't want i don't want that i don't want that for my life i don't want that for their, their life and so notice that in that in that verse what's not present there relenting from disaster jonah adds that little spin on the end like hey you know, you proved that you are merciful, that you say here you relented from disaster. And I want us to pause for a second here. If we look at Jonah, the same mercy that Jonah received is the same, that he deserved death, right? He deserved really hell. He deserved Hades. Uh, that, that same mercy that let him off without death, that, that saved his life from the pit of the ocean by that great fish that swallowed him and, and spit him back out on the Palestinian shores some three days later, that same mercy that was put on him, he is now angry about. Like, do we see that there may be a double standard here? Do we see Jonah maybe saying, hey, it's okay if you, you're merciful to me. It's okay if I sin against you and you forgive me, but not the Ninevites. Not okay there. And I think it's really easy to look at Jonah and be like, we know that's not right. And everybody's like, dude, yeah, come on, man. Are you not thinking this through? Like, are you not getting this? But what about yours? Do you have that same idea? Do you struggle when God is merciful to others, especially when it's that certain person? You know, that certain person you don't like, a certain person that hasn't been real good to you. And like for young people, like, so, so you got this guy that lives down the street, and man, you, you've been saving up, you've been working hard for this bike, and you finally get it. And you know what? This other guy, man, he's never worked a day in his life. 
and he just he drives that same, rides that same bike right by you. Or even bigger, it's that car you worked all summer for, right? You worked all summer for this car, and it's an older used car, but it's good. And, and you're like, oh, man, this is good. I worked really hard. And you buy that, and you're driving the road. But what happens when your neighbor, who, man, you know he's a jerk. He's not nice. You don't like this guy. I mean, he's, he's not nice to anybody. Now he's got the Mustang convertible riding down saying, hey, is there not a party that's like, man, I don't like that. God was merciful to him and gave, or gracious to him and gave him that. Like, you know, I worked harder. I deserve more than he does. Or for us adults, what happens when you've worked really, really hard and you get that promotion, but it took you 10 years to get that promotion. You busted your tail. You stayed after. You worked more. And this, this young guy, man, he comes in. He gets that same promotion you got but five years earlier than you did, and he didn't put in half the work. You know, what, what kind of justice is this, God? Or, or, you know, that speeding ticket that you got written off. You know, you're driving down the road. Oh, man, I was going... 14 over and you get pulled over and they they're like you know i'm gonna give you a warning and you mean you were just happy i've been there you're just happy man you're like i cannot believe that he just gave me a warning that is great but what about that person you don't like and they get pulled over and you see them and you mean you're just so happy man they they've been passing me going you know 95 on the interstate for the past three days to work and they finally got him and then you find out he was an employee you know works with you you don't like this guy you find out man he got off with a warning too Man, this is injustice. You know, our police is corrupted. You know, there's a problem, and you put your post on Facebook like, man, you know what? Hurricane police need to step up their game because they didn't give him a ticket. You know, is that double standard? Can that not hit us as well? And the problem is that double standard is sin. That double standard doesn't see your own sinfulness. And and we see in 1 John 4.20 this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's a tough word. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This lets us know we can't hate our brother. We can't hate that guy down the street that maybe got, you know, the mercy of God or the grace of God and still love God. Both of those can't stay in our heart. And so when we have sin, there's a problem. We're a liar. We don't really love God if we don't really love our neighbor, those those people near us. Let's emulate God here and not Jonah. Let's emulate God who has compassion for those who have sinned against him. Moving forward, let's get to verses 3 and 4. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to, to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah's anger at God has gotten so out of hand that he's saying, Get rid of me. Take me now. It's not worth living. Douglas Stewart says this, Rescue was all right for Jonah, but not for that important enemy city. A world which God forgives even Israel's enemy, enemies is a world that Jonah does not wish to live in. This is so bad. Just take me. Just smite me. Go ahead and get rid of me. You know, the, the same Jonah who cried for his life in verse 2 and was miraculously saved by the great fish is now saying, God, strike me down. And I love, I love God's lack of paying attention to what Jonah is saying. So he hears what Jonah says but he doesn't address what Jonah says. That's how Jesus does it throughout the scripture, right? He hears what the Pharisees say. He hears the questions that come his way, but he goes to the heart. And he says, do you do well to be angry? Completely ignores the fact that Jonah just said, kill me, like a suicidal statement. Go ahead and just smite me right here. He doesn't even answer. He doesn't even respond to that. And I love that that God just goes right at his heart. And then moving to verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
Kevin Youngblood, in his commentary on Jonah, talks about the symbolism of the direction east, especially in the book of Genesis. And we see, uh, you know, these references to east. So he just went east, sat out east of the city, and set up shop. And we see that Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they got sent east. We we see that in Genesis 3.24. Cain, after he kills his brother, he's judged. He goes into the land of Nod, which is east. Uh, we, We see that there as well. And if we look at the Tower of Babel, they were traveling east when they decided to set up the Tower of Babel. And finally, when Abraham and Lot settle, and we just saw that in growth group, if you look at that map, Lot goes east toward Sodom. And, and so we see that there's time and time again when, when, when there's that direction east, not every time, but there is time and time again, that it's a, it's a sign that they're not in the will of God, that they're, they're doing something wrong here. And then yet there has to be this little part in us as we're like, okay, so he's just told God, kill me. And then God's, God's answered him, do you, well, do, do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah, what is his response to that? He goes out, sets up shop, and it's east of the city, and watches to see what will happen to the city. There's a part of him that's like, have I manipulated God? Maybe God's going to actually do what I want him to do. Maybe he's going to destroy the city. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to watch until I see it. Obviously, we're probably coming close to that 40-day mark at this point if he's sitting watching but instead of Jonah uh, accepting the mercy of God and, and appreciating it, he's resented it. But instead of resenting, we should receive the Lord's mercy and compassion. That's our second point. You should receive the Lord's mercy and compassion. Let's read verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now this is, man, we talk about a 180. So we just had, kill me, take me home. God asks him a question, and boom, now God shows grace again to Jonah. First off, you're just sitting there like, even for us, like, what is this mercy and grace you're giving to Jonah? Just off him, man. I am done with Jonah. He just continues to rebel. He's already said you're evil. What you've done is evil, exceedingly evil. He's been angry at you. Why are you letting this guy live? Like, man, this book should have been over a couple chapters ago. Like, what, what is going on? And here Jonah is basking in the shade of the plant that the Lord has miraculously given him. And, and, and if we look, there, there's a part of us that are like, wait, didn't Jonah just build a booth? Like, didn't he just make a, a dwelling? Why does he need this plant? Well, obviously, if, we, if you look at Nineveh in that area, there's not timber in that area. They actually had to import everything. <coughs> so it wasn't like he could just go grab some, some really good building materials and be able to build a booth. Like, his booth was probably pretty shabby, as we see here. So this plant uh, that, that God has had come up as offering some incredible shade has really changed his life in the desert there. You know, it's a really hot area, really arid area. He is pretty happy about that. So we know that his booth was somewhat underwhelming before, and God has miraculously helped him through here. And now we, we had that he was exceedingly displeased, uh, you know, exceedingly angry, that he was upset, calling what God did evil. But now we see over this plant, over this physical thing that God has put, and now all of a sudden he's exceedingly glad so he's been exceedingly angry that God was not going to destroy a whole city, but now he's exceedingly glad that he's basking in the comfort that the Lord has given him. I really want us to just take a step and apply this to our own lives too. Because Jonah at this point, you have to think he's kind of taken this grace that God's shown him, and, and what has Jonah done? He's rebelliously set up in the east, 
And he's watching the city saying, okay, God's going to destroy it. It's about to go down, and I'm excited to see it. You know, God said he was going to do it, and then he said he's going to relent, but, but, you know, my, maybe my conversation, you know, maybe I've talked him into to sense. You know, I've, God was doing evil, now I'm glad I set him right. And so now he's going to do what is right. And then all of a sudden, after he's made this decision that he's going to be rebellious and he's going to watch the city, hopefully it goes down, God mercifully and graceful, gracefully gives him this plant that is giving him shade. And so you're like, man, you, you got to think Jonah's probably sitting there being like, huh, maybe I am right. I'm glad, you know, I mean, glad God saw my way. I'm glad he saw that, you know, and so I feel like that that philosophy, we, we see that philosophy called consequentialism, and it is a horrible philosophy, an earthly philosophy that has not only infiltrated our world today, but our churches today. And what this means is, uh, if we look at the definition per the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, you go to the next slide there, uh, the moral rightness of acts depends only on the consequences of that act. The moral I'm not sure what happened to it. It's, it it's, it's the moral rightness of acts depends only on the consequences of that act. In other words, if you do something and good things happen, what you did was good. If you do something and bad things happen, what you did was bad. And, and if you would preach that in most of our world circles today, like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. If you do something good, then good things are going to happen. You do something bad, bad things are going to happen to you. It's consequentialism. The consequences determine morality. My friends, Jonah's about to learn that that philosophy is garbage. It is not truth. And, and so, so sometimes we can believe that too. And sometimes it can even enter our own hearts. And so what happens is we get that promotion and all of a sudden, we're like, we must be doing what's right. But we may have fudged some numbers to get that promotion. We maybe have been, you know, kind of, you know, sucking up a little bit to our, our, our you know, our bosses and, and maybe bending on our morals a little bit. Or we may have got it for the right reason, for the right reason. Maybe we did work hard. But what, we got that promotion. That didn't determine whether we're doing what's right or wrong. Yes, sometimes God does bless us that way. And that is wonderful when God does bless us that way. But it doesn't always mean that. What about Jesus, right? So if we look at Jesus Christ... If we take the, the worldly philosophy of consequentialism, man, didn't turn out too well for him. He ended up nailed to a cross. So what did Jesus do that was wrong? Absolutely nothing. He never sinned. And so that, that worldly philosophy completely melts away when, it, when we look at the Word of God. We look at Scripture alone, as we talked about this morning. It does not teach consequentialism. It doesn't teach if you do right, good things are going to happen. If you do wrong, bad things are going to happen. Yes, there are consequences to your sin. You sin, there will be consequences. You will have more bad in your life, most likely, if you do sin. But you may have a lot of bad or just as much, even if you are righteous. Because God has not promised to give us the easy life. He's promised to give us abundant life. But that abundance comes from a relationship with him, not from our stuff, not from our quote-unquote blessings. And we see this even in churches. And sadly, this, this, this has really infiltrated our churches today. And what you'll see is a church that continues to grow and has a ton of people and it becomes a mega church. Well, that church must be doing what is right. That pastor must be preaching the word of God. He must be on fire. Man, you know, I'm so glad, you know, we see that church. That's not always the case, my friends. Sometimes the churches that preach the word of God People are like, I don't really want to hear that. I want to hear what my itching ears want to hear. And sometimes the churches that don't preach the hard stuff, that they, they don't go to the hard scriptures, they don't talk about sin, they, they don't talk about things, they just preach humanistic doctrines that you are great and you're, you're wonderful and this is how you can become even better. And you know what, let, let me just pat you on the back and tell you how good that you are. Those are the churches that grow. And so if we look at consequentialism, well, those are the churches that are in the will of God, but the word of God says no. 
They're not preaching the word of God, so they are not in the will of God in that. And there will be judgment upon that. Now, praise God, God does choose to bless some churches that do preach the word of God. And we, we see some churches that grow and do great. And I pray that for Crosspoint. I pray that we see countless souls saved to where we can't even remember how many people have been saved. Countless baptisms to where we can't count that. But we're not going to judge how we're doing as a church based on how many people fit in, the, in this building or how big that our building is or how big that our budget is. We are going to judge how well we're doing by the word of God and nothing else. Ephesians 5.13 says this, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So we're going to expose every decision we make as a church, and I pray that you expose every decision that you make as a human being, as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, as a you know, neighbor, as a friend, that you expose it to the Word of God. You expose it to the light of God's Word, and you judge whether it's right or wrong based on that. So Jonah's just received mercy and compassion from the Lord. And, and praise God, I, I pray that we do as well. But I pray that as we receive that mercy and compassion from the Lord, that we don't judge it based on consequentialism, that we don't judge it based on how we feel or what God is doing in that. But we judge our obedience to God by his word. Are we in his word? And our final point, we see that you should respect the Lord's mercy and compassion. You should respect the Lord's mercy and compassion. So let's just read verse 7 first. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Oh, we got a, got a little bit of a change of, of pace here. And so this consequentialism idea, ah, yeah, God's blessing me, so I must be right. I'm just going to hang out here. Well, now God sovereignly, the same God that sovereignly gave this plant, now has appointed a worm that has ate that plant. The plant dies, and Jonah's sitting there hot. And we see that not only that, 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 that um, God has given undeserved grace, and we look, we're like, well, isn't this kind of like torturing Jonah? Like, come on, God, like, what, what is this all about? You, you give him this plant, you make him think, oh, yeah, I'm, do I'm doing all right, and then you take it away. What we're going to see is Jonah's using this, or God's using this plant to teach Jonah a very important life lesson. Let's get into verse 8 and 9. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, is it, it is better for me to die than live. Three, verse 9 two. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So while, while Jonah was basking in the shade of this plant that God had given the day before and not giving any ruminating thoughts over that question that, that, he, that God had asked him in verse 4, do you do well to be angry? Instead of reflecting on what God had said, instead of praying through that and working through that, completely rebelled, completely ignored the word of the Lord like he did in, in chapter 1 when he fled. And not only did, did God remove this plant, and so now his makeshift, uh, pretty horrible-looking, underwhelming booth that's not really helping with the sun that's being down our head, uh, on his head, we, we see this scorching east wind. And, and we see many com commentators think that this is the same wind that, that occasionally comes in the Middle East even to this day. Uh, it is called a, a Sirocco wind. And Sirocco is a hot wind with so many positive ions that it actually messes with the neurotransmitters of your brain and makes you depressed and exhausted. So it's like this incredibly hot wind that's coming. The sun is being down on Jonah's head. And you just have to see God working his divine discipline on Jonah. Actually, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Refer, calls this word a scorcher is, is really how it, how it portrays that. 
But we see from, from chapter 1 that Jonah's a guy that needs very strong divine discipline. And I pray that you're not quite this far. I pray that it doesn't take quite as much discipline in order to get you to do what's right. I mean, it's taken him to almost drown and get swallowed by a fish, stay in there for three days, get spit out to where he bathed the first part. And now it's taking a scorcher uh, of, of a wind and the sun being down his head for him to even talk back to God. Because remember, he hasn't actually spoken to God since God asked him that question in verse 4. So, I mean, we're, we're looking at at least 24 hours, maybe more, because we have a new day. He, has, he, he was basking in the shade for a day. Now we have a new day, and we have this happening. And Jonah begins right where he left off. He wishes to die again. Right, God, God, but then God again ignores his death wish, ignores his question, and just goes right again to the heart. And he says, do you do well to be angry? But he adds in, for the plant. So now he's saying, okay, so you were angry about what I did by relenting uh, on Nineveh, but now you're angry because I removed my mercy from you. So what's the difference? What's the difference, Jonah? So you got something you didn't deserve, and I took it away, and you're mad. But I've given Nineveh something that you want me to take away from them, but you're mad that I didn't take it away. So, so what, what's going on here? And so let's see how, how, how the Lord responds to him in verses 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, right? You didn't, you didn't make it grow. You didn't plant that. You didn't cultivate that. You didn't put fertilizer. You didn't tend that. You did absolutely nothing to deserve that plant. And you pity that plant because I've allowed it and I've appointed it to go away. And it, it came overnight, right? And then if we look at verse 11, and should I not pity, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So we see Jonah is pitying himself. He's pitying this plant that, that, that was just giving him this wonderful, you know, relaxing shade. And he doesn't pity a, a 120,000 people of a city. He wants to see them burn. He wants to see fire from heaven fall down and destroy them like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But do we see the, and God is showing Jonah that he has a dualistic way of thinking. Uh, He's angry when he faces judgment from God and he's happy when he gets blessing. But yet the opposite is true when it comes to the people of Nineveh. And we see that God says that they don't know the right hand from their left. And, and that doesn't mean that they're innocent. And we, we see in Romans 1.20, it says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and, then the, and the things that have been made so, so, so that they are without excuse. So we see here that the Ninevites knew deep down there it was a one and true God. There was Yahweh. They were born with a conscience that was given to them. Their conscience had been seared by their wicked deeds. And so, so this doesn't mean that they weren't guilty. That's why they had to repent, because they were guilty. And so they, but, but when they heard the word of the Lord, they repented and put sackcloth on and turned from their wicked ways. Their, their, their ignorance to Yahweh, his, his, his word, they didn't have the Pentateuch. What, 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 what uh, God is saying here is, what Yahweh is saying here is, I have given you, Jonah, the Pentateuch, the law. You know what I like. You know what I hate. You know what I love, you know what I hate. You know the, the, the commands that you're supposed to follow, they don't. They don't know the right hand from their left. They need to be taught the law. And so I'm going to show them uh, mercy and compassion because they have repented when they heard what was the truth. And for any of you that might be animal lovers, you may love the last little part here, and also, mu- or, and, and mu- also much cattle. So for you who are animal lovers, God even says, 
why would I destroy all this innocent cattle too, right? And there's parts of you all there that are like, you know, my, maybe the Dr. Doolittle people in the world here uh, that may really love that God loves all of his creation. He does care about it all. And we as humans are to steward animals as we see throughout Genesis, and we're to steward them well and take good care of them because God has entrusted them to them, to us. All right, as we come to a close, we have a really important lesson we need to learn from this great chapter. And I think that the author intentionally leaves us hanging. When, when we look at the end of this chapter, it just ends. And there's like, a lot of us are like, well, what happened next? Did Jonah repent? Did he not? And we're not told. We're not told what happened next. And I think that we're left hanging here because it just, man, it just makes that sit on our hearts, sit in our minds. Because now instead of it being Jonah, it's you. It's you all. It's me that, that is like, okay, what, what would I do in this situation? What would I do when I saw that, man, you know, I wanted the mercy of God. I wanted compassion, but I didn't want him to have it. I didn't want her to have it, right? And so Elsie Allen makes the following statement, and this is tough. A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, prejudice empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. I pray that this difficult quote kind of ruminates in our mind for a bit, that, that, we, that we, we read this and we're like, wow, because we may be able to think of people in our lives right now as we think here that, that, that maybe, maybe we really struggle with them. Maybe it's religious region, reasons. They're, they're a different religion. I mean, we just, we just don't like them. Every time we see them, they're an atheist, and they're like, God isn't real. And, and we're just like, man, I just want to punch this guy. Like every time he just pokes at me all the time, tries to make me look, look, uh, you know, dumb in front of people. And, you know, he does that. Or maybe it's a political issue. You know, that this person, man, they, I just cannot stand their political views. And every time I see them, we, we talk about this. Uh, you know, maybe it's social reasons. Maybe it's even personal reasons. Maybe it's somebody that has not been kind to you. Maybe it's somebody that hurt you so deeply that you can't even talk about it. You're like, man, this guy, this girl, man, they have hurt me so bad. And it may be a reason, there may be a good reason why you may be struggling to pray for deliverance and mercy of that person. But I pray that as we end this message today, that we ask God to give us a better view of our own need for mercy, our own need for, for compassion. As Jonah, over and over again, needed the mercy and compassion of the Lord in order to be delivered. As we see how horrible that he was, may we see that we're the same. We're no different than Jonah. Uh, you know, there's part of us that just is righteously anger, angry toward Jonah. It's like, God, just, just judge him. But then there's another part of us that's like, identifies with Jonah a little bit. Like, there's been times where God's called me to do something, and I didn't really want to do it. I might not have fled to Tarshish and tried to go 3,000 miles away from the direction God wanted, but there's times where I put my head down, and I can't hear anything. What are you talking about? You know, like, I, you know, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do, right? And so we can identify with Jonah. And we need to identify with Jonah because we need to see ourselves as sinners, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so we have been forgiven, shown the mercy of God if we are in Christ, if we are believers. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, you know, rose three days later, and is now at the right hand of the Father, that by his name we can be saved. If we truly believe in the gospel, then we believe that we had to be saved from something. And that was from hell. And that was also from ourselves because we were hell-bent and we were children of the devil, as the Bible tells us. And when we see ourselves as former children of the evil one, that, that, that we were liars, that, that, that we deserved eternity apart from God, and that yet we were saved by grace through faith, not by works, 
that person that we think is too far from God because of whatever reason it is, that person, we need to have mercy and compassion for them and pray that God has mercy and compassion for, uh, for them because they won't be saved if they don't respond to the gospel. I pray that all of us here have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've not, I'd love to talk to you about what that means to be a born-again believer, what it means to put your faith and trust in him all the way. And if you've also been somebody who says, you know what, I, I am a believer. You know what, I, I'm really struggling with mercy and compassion to him or to her or to this person or to somebody that's really hurt me in the past. And, you know, I just need to talk about that. I, I need to really work through this because I know that if I've hated my heart, I can't really love God the way I need to love God. And I need to let go of my past. I need to let go of what they did to me. I need to see my sin as greater because right now what I'm seeing is I have anger and when I get angry, I become more righteous in my own eyes. And that is why the anger of God does not bring about the righteousness of God. The anger of man, man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Because when we get angry, we become God in our own eyes. And all of a sudden, we, we, stop, we stop seeing our own deficiencies. We stop seeing our own sins and our own struggles. We stop seeing what God has done for us on the cross and how much we needed that. And so I pray, I'd love to talk with you about what it means to truly understand, like Paul said. I mean, most people think Paul is like right after Jesus, Paul is up there with Peter. I mean, one of the greatest Christians of all time, you know, just suffered for the gospel in ways we can't understand. And what does he say about himself? Of whom I am the worst of sinners. Of whom I am the worst of sinners. And because of that, you know, he was able to see, the compa have compassion on people who hated him and beat him up and put him in jail over and over again. And he can still have joy. Nothing says it better, I think, than the book of James here. James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want us to read that last little, little quote that is bolded up there now. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you so much that mercy triumphs over judgment, that compassion is greater than anger. Lord, I pray that you, that you work in our hearts to, to understand the compassion, first and foremost, that you have for us and the mercy and the grace that you've shown to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, that we can have salvation. There is no other name in which one may be saved other than yours, Lord God. So God, I just pray that you open up our hearts, and if we haven't put our faith and trust in you, that we do that this moment that we don't waste a minute, uh, but, th but that we accept the free gift of eternal life, a right relationship with you. And God, if we are believers, I pray that if we have, we're struggling showing mercy and compassion to others, may we see the gravity of that and how that is hindering our relationship with you because we cannot love you the way we need to love you if we hate our brother or our sister. So God, I, I just pray that we be a church of love, of peace that surpasses all understanding that your word gives us as we see in Philippians. Lord God, and that peace will fall if we let our anger fall and our bitterness fall, Lord God, may we glorify you and make much of you. Thank you, God. Amen. Have a blessed week.